So when it comes to the so-called secondary characters throughout the course of the gospel, whether we're talking about people like, you know, the apostles, St. Joseph, and people of that elk, a lot of times we have to guess in terms of what they're actually like based on the choices they make in particular situations. But sometimes the gospel is really explicit in terms of the particular spirituality of a particular character in the gospel. And you find this in the case of the Blessed Virgin Mary, where recurringly you find that she keeps and ponders the things of God and manifestations of His grace. So just to kind of break these things down one at a time, first of all, this notion of keeping, again, as in Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her heart. And when it comes to the original Greek, I would suggest that you can't really reduce the word which is rendered here as keep or keeping to one particular thing. And so instead, perhaps I might kind of phrase it like this. It's basically an invitation to recognize and reflect upon actively even the slightest manifestation of God and His grace to change in the way that God wants you to change. Now again, even in this, there's kind of a lot going on here, so I want to break this thing down even further, beginning with this notion of recognition. And so we're going to recall to recognize even the slightest manifestation of God or His grace. And I suppose on this note, the thing I want to bring to your attention right off the bat is to not get intimidated, right? Because a lot of times when we think about recognizing, again, either the Lord's presence or manifestations of His grace, we can get kind of scared or intimidated because we think we have to discern, you know, God's voice in the clouds or discern His presence in the burning bush. Whereas in reality, perhaps a more practical way of kind of looking at this particular issue of recognition is to discern in the context of our ordinary lives manifestations of anything which is authentically good, true, or beautiful. Mindful of the fact that anything in this world which is actually good, true, and beautiful is of the Lord, right? Because the Lord Himself is the good, the true, and the beautiful incarnate. And so they illustrate the point in a slightly more concrete sort of way. Imagine you're coming home after having been to Sunday Mass, right? So you've been to Mass, you've participated in the liturgy, you received the Eucharist, and you've just listened to the homily. Now the question is, what is the Holy Spirit calling to mind in light of certain parts of the homily in the aftermath of listening to the homily? It won't be the entire thing, right? There'll be certain parts which the Holy Spirit calls to mind and therefore invites you to reflect upon. And of course, in this, we're called to see a certain divine invitation, right? So first of all, to recognize that it is the Lord, right? So it is the Lord who speaks. It is the Holy Spirit who is calling to mind this particular part of the homily as opposed to other parts. But in secondly, of course, it corresponds to the invitation. It corresponds to the invitation to reflect and meditate on this particular part of the liturgy which is being brought to mind, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that brings us very naturally to the second aspect of this notion of keeping, namely this idea that we're called to actively reflect on things with a purpose, right? with the intention of changing in the way that the Lord actually wants us to change. And so in this regard, we're called to move past a stance of mere wonder, where we're simply amazed at the things of God. But instead to realize that the reason why God gives us spiritual highs, if you will, is to use these things to draw our attention to those areas of our lives or those areas of our hearts, where again, we need to change in the way the Lord calls us to change. And so just to use a really kind of easy example, let's say you're watching a movie in the theater and in the aftermath of that movie, you deem it to be a good movie that you liked, right? Rather than simply stop there and say, well, gosh, that was a good movie, to kind of ask yourself the question, like what parts of the movie really struck me? In other words, how these different moments in the film make you feel, how they move your heart, how they arouse your, your deep desires, mindful that your deepest desires are also what God wants for you. But that brings us to the third aspect of this notion of keeping, which is basically to say this, even though you might recognize that a particular thing which happens in your life is from the Lord, right? So you recognize it. 
And even though you might, on top of that, correspond with the invitation to actively reflect on that thing with the explicit intention to change. At the same time, you got to recognize that in the context of God's providence, change typically happens really slowly over a long period of time. And even when it comes to gaining a particular insight through your active meditation on a particular circumstance or event, even that particular insight might not come overnight. And that's why Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI says that Mary's faith was a journeying faith, if you will. Because it speaks to the fact that Mary's journey of faith was constantly shrouded in mystery, while at the same time acknowledging that her faith actually deepened precisely through her courage and willingness to persevere through this period of prolonged darkness and confusion. So to illustrate the point, think about the common practice of praying the rosary. And so you probably know this, but the rosary is not primarily a vocal prayer, right? So it certainly involves vocal prayers, like reciting, for example, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Glory Be. But at the same time, it's not primarily a vocal prayer, it's primarily a meditative prayer. So we're called to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, like the Annunciation, the Visitation, stuff like that, while kind of saying the vocal prayers in the background. But at the same time, and kind of more to the point, when it comes to the end of praying the rosary, or even the end of kind of meditating on a particular mystery, you don't normally come away from the thing having sort of a moral of the story, right? Or sort of a, a fixed, like, therefore do this as opposed to that. No, instead, there's actually this implicit conviction of faith that if I meditate deeply and regularly on the great mysteries of the rosary, ultimately, eventually, I will change in the way that God wants me to change. And the whole thing with doing and action will kind of take care of itself all in due time. But that brings us to the second part of our word study, naming this notion of pondering. Again, as in Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her heart. And perhaps I must suggest that the key to kind of unpacking a proper notion of what it means by pondering is to have a proper understanding of what we mean by the heart. And so in the biblical imagination, the heart wasn't simply seen as this organ residing in the central cavity, which pumps blood, but instead it was seen as being the very center of the human person. This was the center of decision-making, hopes, dreams, desires, emotions. Again, the very center of the human person. But just to bring it back to our original idea, right? So when we talk again about pondering in the heart, basically it's meant to be a stark reminder to not live our faith at arm's length, but to bring to the table the entirety of the human person, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our emotions, the whole nine yards. Okay, now to further illustrate this last point and kind of tie together everything we said kind of thus far, I want to share with you this story that I heard when I first arrived at the seminary to study to become a priest. And so basically, as the story goes, one of my friends, who was also a fellow seminarian, was experiencing this recurring problem where another seminarian would come to his room recurringly and just like pass gas and then leave, right? And this would happen like all the time. As a bit of a side note, this other guy, he never got ordained, right? So don't worry, they, they recognized that it was a formation issue and he never got the grace of holy orders. But anyways, um, again, more to the point, this would happen all the time. And so my friend would take this situation, this recurring situation, to prayer. And what he would pray time and time again is some variation of like, Lord, um, give me the grace and the patience and the love to deal with my brother in Christ who recurringly passes gas in my room. But he found that this particular prayer in its form would never help, right? And so basically what he came to pray was something like this. Lord, I really hate that guy who just stinks up my room all the time. He didn't say exactly that, but you get the point, right? And so basically when he prayed the prayer like that in this honest and raw form, all of a sudden, he felt this weight being lifted suddenly from his shoulders, as if the Lord was kind of saying, well, now we're talking, right? And he realized in that moment that the Lord was actually demanding of him his true self, not his false self, not his ideal self, not the self that he thought the Lord wanted him to be, 
but again, his real authentic self. Mindful of the fact that an important prerequisite to real authentic prayer with the Lord is that you bring the entirety of the human person, because only in that do you encounter the one living and true God. And I suggest, friends, that even though that's obviously kind of a weird and slightly offbeat sort of story, at the same time, it touches on everything we've been talking about today, this notion of keeping and pondering. And so in this regard, this story is actually a really clear illustration of this aspect of Marian spirituality. And so just to kind of break it down, right? So first of all, my friend recognized that this particular occurrence was from the Lord, right? So the Lord was inviting him to change some aspect of his heart through this recurring annoying presence of this guy, right? So, you know, the Lord permitting evil to bring about a greater good. And then secondly, there was patience. There was this deep conviction that change might not happen overnight, but it might instead happen over a long period of time. So he was resolved to pray about this thing over and over again in the stance of a journeying faith again, if you will. And then finally, and this is kind of the most important part in a certain sense, my friend eventually came to realize that the Lord is asking of him not simply his mind, but his heart. In other words, my friend needed to get past what we might call the tyranny of the should, what I should think, what I should feel, to kind of bring to the table in the context of prayer what he actually thought, what he actually felt. You know, am I joyful? Am I upset? Am I sad? Am I disgusted? To realize that an important prerequisite to real authentic prayer is to bring my real authentic self to the table, because only in that do I encounter the one living and true God. Okay, now obviously there's, there's kind of a lot going on here, but perhaps I might leave you with one final thought. So with regards to religion in general, right, I, I think a lot of people find the practice of religion kind of boring and kind of irrelevant because they've forgotten about this essential principle that you're not meant to practice your faith at arm's length. In other words, people have largely forgotten that you're called to bring to the table not simply your intellect, not simply your mind, but also your hearts, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, all those different things which constitute the entirety of the human person. Because at the end of the day, you got to remember and realize that religion at its best is about things of ultimate concern. Certainly, the big questions about, you know, who am I, where am I from, where am I going, how am I supposed to get there? But also the kind of more fundamental questions like, you know, how do I become happy? How do I wrestle with the great messiness and suffering and, and struggles that I find in the context of a messy life to find happiness and joy, the deep desires of the human heart? Mindful of the fact that that's what the Lord wants for us to be fully human and therefore become fully alive. May God bless you all.